Well, good morning, family of faith over in the modern worship service. It is good to be with you via video. And um, if you're a guest over there, a very, very special welcome to you. We're glad, glad you've joined the, the family of faith here at Taylor's. And we worship in two rooms uh, during this second hour. And so right now there's uh, over 500 people or so, if not more than that, in uh, our fellowship hall. And so we come together for the teaching and preaching of the Word of God this morning. We're in the book of James, so go ahead and turn to James chapter 1 this morning, and as you saw on the bumper, uh, the title of our series is Authentic Living, and if there is any book in all of the scriptures that really zeroes in on what it means to live authentically, it's the book of James, because it is so very practical. It is gut-level teaching. And as I said in here, Modern Service, I said in here just a few minutes ago, I love this book because it is so simple and it comes right at you, but sometimes this book is hard to digest because it is so challenging. But we want to approach the Word of God this morning with the grace that God gives it for healing and for forgiveness and mercy and grace and instruction and all of those things. So we invite you, James chapter 1 is where we are. And before we dive right in, our marriage conference is in a couple of weeks. The deadline to sign up for our marriage conference is a week from tomorrow. You can see it there in your bulletin um, and you can go online and check that information out. But uh, here's the thing, if you are a married a couple, husband and wife, we want you to come and we've designed this and it's our heart that it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, whether you've been married for a long, long time or where you've been married just a short period of time. It doesn't matter if you feel that your marriage is strong, you can always use some freshening up, some encouragement, unless your marriage is perfect. And if it's perfect, you're lying, okay? And it, or, or it might be you, you guys are, are on the verge, you're ready to break up. You're ready to, you're ready to call it. And this could be, in a couple of weeks, what God will use to move you in that next step, wherever you are, towards a more Christ-centered home. And so it's Friday night for, I think, three hours on Friday, and, and then for some time on a Saturday. I think it's eight hours total. I might be wrong in that, but it's around eight hours. And so here, here's the thing. Is it a, a um, convenient Thing Friday night and Saturday morning in the midst of all that's going on in your life. No, it's not very convenient. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you it's not. But do you need to commit to it? Yes. And here's why. You would spend eight hours on a home improvement project to build your house. No sweat. How much more do we need to build our homes? And so I would just encourage you, go to the website, uh, call us this week, and you come. You be here. Barrett and Jennifer are a wonderful couple, and uh, they're just going to share with us in a winsome, gracious, loving way what it means to have a Christ-centered home. So you come, all right? Uh, that commercial was free. <laughs> James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. I, I love how James has begun over the last couple of weeks, and if you haven't been here, um, or by way of refreshing your memory, James wants to really help us. And uh, it seems to be that, that James has in mind, he's a half-brother of Jesus. And um, he has in mind this sense that his people that he's writing to are being tested. They are. They're, they're being persecuted if they're, if, we, if they're Jewish believers like we think they are who are spread out. And so he starts out and he says, listen, 
there are tests that are going to come in from the outside. And we talked about that, how pressures and disappointments and discouragements are everywhere around us. And if you're not going through a time of struggle and testing, you will when you face various trials, he says. And so we, we walk that road, and, and at the end of the day, what James says, what God wants to produce in you is, is uh, maturity. He wants you to become like Christ. And so he puts you down this path of testing. And then last week, we talked about temptation. And at the end of temptation, if we take the, the right path when it comes to temptation, what James has in mind, verse 18, is that God's desire is to bring in you and through you, through his word and through his spirit and through his body, he wants to bring you to a place of fruitfulness in your life. And he wants you to finish well. And so it's as if we're on this, this journey towards maturity or we're, we're looking towards finishing. But now over the course of the next few weeks, he's going to say, okay, here's the deal though, church. There's some challenges that you've taken on and you live with and you consume and it's, it's hindering you from really, really finishing like God wants you to finish. And if you can just get past some of these things, if I can just correct you and move you to a place where, where you are, are living authentically before God, if I can get you down that path, you're going to finish well. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be mature. And that's our goal. That's, that's my heart for you as your pastor, is that you become mature in Christ one day as you stand before him. But there are challenges. We're going to see them over the course of the next few weeks. It's kind of like uh, there was this race in Raleigh yesterday, Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a race that's been, uh, that's 12 years old now. We used to live in Raleigh, so I'll go and go online, I'll check the paper out every now and then. And um, this race was yesterday, and it's a five-mile race, and uh, all proceeds for the race go to, I believe, the Children's Hospital there at the University of North Carolina. So uh, a five-mile race, and it benefits charity, and you're saying that's no, that's, that happens all the time. It happens here in Greenville. That's no big deal. What's so unique about this race? Well, here, here's the great part. They start at the bell tower on the campus of North Carolina State University, and they run two and a half miles to a halfway point to Krispy Kreme. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here, here I, I told the first, the first hour, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but I am convinced. We'll find out. Moses will tell me when we get to heaven that when manna came in the wilderness, it was Krispy Kreme. I promise you. Just take, your, take my word for it. If I'm wrong, I'll apologize then. All right, I love that place. Two and a half miles where they are required. If you're going to do this thing, you're going to finish. Um, you are required to eat a dozen do donuts, turn around, run two and a half miles, puking all the way to the finish line in one hour. You think you could do it? <laughs> and I said, that's a challenge. <laughs> I love Krispy Kreme. I don't love it that much. That's a challenge. And, and this is where we find ourselves so often. We're in this race. And we find ourselves taking on things that just oh, weigh us down, cause us to not to get there. James says, I want to help you get there. All right? So what is he going to tell us today? All right, let's jump right in. Verse 19, he says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. If you don't have a copy of the word of God, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you here in this room over in the modern worship service. Just raise your hand if you need a copy. We're gonna walk through this. I want you to see this with your very own eyes, all right? Or with your digital device, feel free to jump on. James chapter one, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and therefore slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right? Authentic living. Thought number one this morning. Authentic Christianity removes filth and replenishes it with the word. We'll keep that up for you for just a second there. Authentic Christianity does this. this. Here's a summary of this first paragraph. You can take notes throughout. Authentic Christianity removes filth and replenishes it with the word of God. This is how we're going to finish well. This is how we're going to grow up in Christ. And he dives right in, verse 19, in giving us some very sound advice. Be quick, some of you, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and therefore when you do that, you're going to be slow to get angry with one another. He's addressing something that... um, philosophers have talked about. Um, There's this philosopher named Zeno who lived 300 years before Christ. And he, he said this, the reason we have two ears and only one mouth is that we may hear more and we may speak less. You have two ears, you have one mouth. What does that tell you about the ratio of what we hear and what we speak? And James says, here's some issues that are going on in the church. Because later on in James chapter 3, he's going to say, there's some selfish ambition and jealousy going around uh, the camp here. And it's producing things that are not good for the body of Christ. And, and then later on, he, he asks the question, why do so many of you fight? And why do so many of you quarrel against one another? And, and he begins to dive down into that. So there's some anger issues that are there in that first century church just as there are in our homes and in our schools and in our marriages and in our relationships and in our church. And James comes out with some incredibly simple advice. Some of you need to slow down how you're speaking to one another and you need to listen to one another. You need to listen to your wife. You need to listen to your husband more than you speak to them because the more you speak, the more you become angry with one another and then keep following it. Anger then produces filth and wickedness that needs to be removed so that the word of God can be put into your heart and into your soul so that you can speak well. You see, here's the issue. It's just not a matter of our words and regretting things that we say. Every single person has said things where you go, if only I could take that back. Every single one of us. Guilty. And, and, and so this is good advice from James. So, so we don't regret what we say to our children or to our grandchildren or to our spouse or to neighbors, a boss, whatever. We all have things that it comes to mind and you go, I wish I would have never, ever said that. Now, th- that's good. That's good. But, he, but here's the thing. It's just not about measuring what you say or how many words you say or the tone in which you say. That, that, that is the outflow of that. It's kind of like the presidential debate. Any of you stay up last night and watch that thing? Um, I, I, w- I was moving in and out of consciousness with that thing, and uh, I, I'm a big political guy. I love it. I love it. Here they come to South Carolina, right? Um, but, he, but I love how in the middle of this debate, 
they, they'll point out how many minutes each candidate has spoken. <laughs> As if the guy who speaks the most is going to be the most persuasive, right? We all know that it's just the words. Eventually, you're just like, whatever. Okay, I got it. And so it's not just simply about measuring your words. That's good advice. We don't want to regret what we say, but here's the issue. Words come from a heart. And either that heart is in tune with listening well and loving well. This is what speaking well is. And listening well, it is loving. It's a matter of, of loving your neighbor, of loving your wife, of loving your children, of loving your, your boss, whatever it is. Speaking and listening is a matter of do I love them and do I listen to them with my heart, not just with my ears? Do I love them enough where their good is above what I want to say to them or what I want to prove to them? So therefore, when this comes up in the church or in your home, you're, you're quick to sound off because you're not listening with your, your heart. You're listening with your ears and, your, and, and as James says, your heart inside the filth that is down in there needs to, to be moved out and replenished with the, the word of God that is meek and that is humble and gracious. And so he says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and stop the anger. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent or is wise. Kent Hughes, a great commentator, and I've been reading just this week, picked up his commentary on James. He says this, this is why this is a problem. We're quick, he says, to jump to the wrong conclusions. We're quick to judge others. We're quick to say the worst. We're quick to offer advice. We're quick to naturally pronounce our opinions and our verdicts on every situation and on every person. And the more we do that, the more we open ourselves up to anger on our parts and anger on the parts of other individuals. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he said this about, about our words. It flows out of the abundance of the heart. He says that, that uh, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, listen, th this, is, uh, this is an outward expression of what's on the inside. And so when James says, be quick to hear and be slow to speak, what he's simply saying is take time to listen with a heart that has the good of others in mind. I think today, I think today we, we need to say this, students, we need to say this, be quick to hear, be slow to tweet. Be quick to hear, be slow to Instagram. Be quick to hear with your heart, be slow to post on Facebook, all of us. Because if we're not careful and we don't love with a heart that has been replenished, as it says there in verse 21, with the word of God, it just leads to trouble. Anger is always trouble in our homes, in our marriages, in our church. Anger is always trouble. Jesus, um, 
raises the bar when it comes to anger. We're, we're quick to kind of cast aside anger as something that just kind of happens in, in naturally. It's just who we are. It's just how we were raised, how my dad was or how my mom was or whatever it is. But Jesus was very clear when it comes to anger. He, he comes on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5. I think we misquoted the previous reference. This is Matthew chapter 5. When he comes to the people and he says, you have heard it said that if you are guilty of murdering somebody, you are liable for judgment. And he says, but I say to you, all right, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to, to the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. He's referring to the Old Testament law. He says, okay, you are guilty if you murder someone. And so the Pharisees were quick to say, um, we've never murdered anybody. We, we, would never, we would never, ever do that because Moses told us not to do that. Jesus comes in, but I say to you, I say to you, if anyone has anger in his heart towards somebody, you are just as guilty and liable for the judgment. Now, that's a hard word, Jesus. You mean to tell me, Jesus, that you've come and the anger in my heart makes me just as guilty before God as if someone who has murdered somebody? Now, we know, we know, we know the consequences are not the same. The punishment is not the same. But here's my point. Speaking, receiving, anger, these are matters of the heart. And Jesus has come with his very, very good news to remind us that he has come to change our hearts and he gives us his word. Verse 21, therefore, because of this trouble, because you're, you're, you're carrying around this as you're, as, you're, as you're running the race, put it away, all filthiness, verse 21, and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put away the anger, put away the filth, put away the wickedness. It's a, it's a phrase that literally means take off your coat. Take off your clothes. If they're muddy and they're filthy and they're stained, take them off and put inside of your soul. Replenish your soul with the word of God that will give you the grace to speak well, to listen well, to love well. Get rid of, of anger. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do for many of us that are trapped with this. Anger is simply the outward expression of the inner spirit that says, I'm not getting my way instead replenish your soul with the word of God it's a measure of our hearts it's a measure of our Christianity look down at verse 26 look at it look at what he says here if anyone thinks he is religious and does not rein in his tongue or bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is Worthless. Wow. Really, James? What, what? Right, here's what he's saying. Whatever religion looked like then, here's the same sense that there's a, you, you, you appear on the outside that, that you're religious or moral or spiritual or upstanding. And what it looked like then could be a little bit different than what it looks like now. But here's, here's the word of God for us this morning. And I say this with all 
grace and with all humility, if you have an external appearance of being moral and being righteous, but you have a propensity and you continue to lash out and you continue to use your words in a way that are hurtful and destructive and damaging, there's two types of ways that this can happen. There's those outbursts, there's those kind of violent, just just in your face and just blowing people back. But you know what? There's the other kind that's incredibly hurtful, which is subtle and which is underneath and which is conniving and manipulative. Both are wrong. If you externally say, I'm a religious person, but you show no signs whatsoever of reigning that in, James, the Holy Spirit says, your religion isn't worth a lot. And this is why we have to come running to the word and replenish it with, it's a heart transfer, it's a heart change with the word of God for us to listen well and speak well. All right, James, help us. We need some more more wisdom here because this is difficult. He says, okay, I'll give it to you, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers of the word only deceiving yourselves. This is the third time in just a few verses James has said, you're deceiving yourselves. Last week he said, if you think temptation to sin is God's fault or somebody else's fault, you're deceiving yourself. We just read just a second ago, if you think you're a religious person, but you are damaging and destructive to the body of Christ and to other people, your religion isn't worth a lot. And then he says now here, okay, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you've deceived yourselves again. And and James wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be genuine in our faith. This is why we're dealing with sin. This is why we're dealing with this. And he says, listen, be doers of the word and just not people who hear it and take it on. Practice it. Live it. Do it. Thought number two this morning. Authentic Christianity prioritizes transformation over the transfer of biblical information. Let me say that again. We'll leave it up there for you. Authentic Christianity prioritizes transformation of our lives over the simple transfer of biblical information into our minds. Be doers of the word. Just don't be hearers of the word. And if you, do, if you don't do that, you're deceiving yourself. What James is is trying to remind us here is that maturity is not measured by how much of the word of God we take in and accumulate. Maturity is measured by our action in response to the word of God. Our maturity is not measured by simply transferring and downloading all the Bible has to say to us if there is no action on the other Now, don't hear me say, I said this first hour, don't hear me say, don't go to life group anymore. I'm not saying that. Go to life group. <laughs> don't hear me say, you don't need to read the word of God. You need to be digging into the word of God. Don't hear me say that you, need to, uh, you don't need to worry about finding someone in your life that you can take the word of God with and say, what is this saying to me and to you? And, and walking with those people. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is if that is the level that you're consuming and taking in the word of God, but there's no practice, James, the Holy Spirit says, you're deceived. It's not authentic. You have a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of practice. I told you James is going to come after us a little bit this morning. 
He says it's as if you look into the mirror. Read it here in the text. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man, verse 23, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James uses a great illustration as if he goes into, um, it's like you when you go in, in the mirror in the morning and, and you see something that is wrong. For instance, if I went to the mirror this morning and there was a big glob of toothpaste hanging down my chin here, and I looked at that and said, what is that? I need to fix that. But then I go throughout the day and I, I, I just walk around and people are like, what's wrong with the pastor? Is he foaming at the mouth? What's going on with him here? And, and pastor, you got something, you know, people are going, I'm like, ah, no, I'm fine. I, I carry around a self-image of myself that doesn't fit the reality of how God really sees me. It's a matter of image of what I think of myself versus the reality of how God sees me. And so when James says, okay, next verse, let's keep going. Look then, he says, because you're deceiving yourself. You don't practice what the word of God says. But he says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James says, hold on. Here's what the word of God does. It's like a mirror and you see who you are. And for many of us, we don't like it. It's like the story of the missionary. He was out and he had a little mirror and he hung it up on the tree so that he could shave. A witch doctor came by and saw the mirror and saw her image in that mirror and it scared her. And she kept coming to the missionary saying, give me that mirror. Give me that mirror. Finally, he relented. Okay, you can have the mirror. Takes the mirror and he gives it to the witch doctor. The witch doctor takes it and breaks it and slams it on the ground and it's done. And she says, finally, no more of those ugly, ugly faces looking at me. Right? Here's what happens when we look into the word of God. We see things we don't particularly like but that's the reason you look into it so that God in his mercy and in his grace can deal with your sin and with your heart. The reason you look into the perfect law of liberty. Notice James didn't say you just look into the perfect law. That that kind of reminds us of the Old Testament, looking into the law, um, looking into the Old Testament, Testament, looking into the, into the traditions of the Pharisees, looking into, into the, all the legalism, looking into the, all the stuff that reminds me that I am a sinner, all the stuff that reminds me of how angry I get, all the stuff that reminds me of the filth of my heart. That's like looking over there, James. We don't want to look into the law. And James says, no, it's not the law of legalism. It's not the law of, of condemnation. It is the law of liberty. And here's the law of liberty. When Christ came, he fulfilled the law and said, this is what it truly means. And you can't fulfill the law. You can't do it. So when you look in that mirror, you're like the witch doctor. You're like, I don't like that. 
But that's okay. That's okay. That's what the law was intended to do because the law of liberty is as Christ has come. He has said, okay, I'm going to fulfill it and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die for the sins that, that are there so that when you see your sin, there is a freedom that comes with forgiveness and confession and coming to Christ. Some of you need to do that this morning. Some of you have never called upon Christ to save you. And, and, and in James chapter one, talking about doing the word, you need to come to the, to the understanding that as you look into the word of God and their sin, there's also grace and mercy. And Christ has come to free you. He says it's the law of liberty so that when you call upon Christ, his spirit permeates and fills your heart in such a way that when you take the word of God by the spirit of God, you live in freedom and you can do exactly what the word says. You're no longer just a, a hearer, but you're a doer. Not because we're legalistic, not because we have to, but because we are free, we are forgiven, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do what the law says because we love Christ. It's a big difference isn't it? than looking at the law versus looking at the gospel. It all fits together, and James says, okay, authentic Christianity. It's transformation. If you endure, he says in verse 25, you will be blessed. Endure. Here's the last thing. Authentic Christianity strives for holiness as it cares for the helpless. Authentic Christianity strives for holiness as it cares for the helpless. So verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and doesn't rein in his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. But then he comes to verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. To visit orphans, three things. To visit orphans in their distress. To visit widows in their distress. And to keep oneself pure or unstained from the world. And, and the only way that we can do that is circle back around up to 19 verse 21 is to get rid of the filth, replenish it by the word. Within the gospel and the freedom of Christ, we can act upon it. And then James says, here's how I know your Christianity is authentic. Not by how you worship or how you give or all of those things that yes, are necessary components of walking and following Jesus. But there's a matter of the heart, James says, and it deals with your mouth, and it deals with your holiness, and it deals with how you care for the helpless. There, there's something else going on in the church at Jerusalem because James addresses um, those who are wealthy and rich. Uh, in chapter 1, we're going to deal with discrimination next week about those who are different classes and how the church is to treat people of different classes. There, there's something going on there because he comes here and he says, listen, church, um, uh, if you don't care for those who are helpless, then your Christianity is hollow. The widows and the orphans in the first century were, were individuals who had been abandoned by their families and had been abandoned by society. We can add to that group, that collection of individuals, we can add to that, that group from the Old Testament, those who are immigrants and those who are foreigners, those who are poor. This was a class that uh, under this system of Jewish life that if you were poor, if you um, 
didn't have enough for someone to take care of you. The blessing of God was not on you. That's the thinking. And James says, no, 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 hold hold on, hold on. I'm not going to judge them. God is going to come to you who have the means to care for those who are orphans, those children who have been abandoned by their moms and by their dads, those widows who have nobody to take care of them. In simple, quiet ways, your Christianity is going to be proven genuine or not. Not by the externals. So how's your heart this morning? What I love about Taylor's, and and we've said it as ministers for a long time now, for several months as we've been meeting together and and, and working through an understanding of the vision and values of our church, we we, we have uncovered one, one very significant thing about Taylor's, and it's this, that we are a caring body we care for hurting people that's a beautiful thing I I commend you church for that because some of you quietly quietly are living out your Christianity in a way where I don't see you our ministers don't see you but you're hearing the call from the Holy Spirit and from the word of God and and it's in your soul and you long to help those who are helpless our mission 127 Ministry here is a phenomenal ministry to those who are orphans. What we do to care, our mercy team for those who are widowed or those who have lost their their husbands or lost their wives is just extraordinary. But James says, here's how you'll know. It's authentic. It's the real deal. Here's how you'll know you're going to keep moving towards the finish line. It's whether the word of God is replenishing your soul and you're removing the filth and the word of God is coming alive and you're practicing it. You're just not thinking or knowing about it. You're living it. Here's my heart for you, church. Let's pray to the Father about that right now. Lord, Father, in both rooms, may your Holy Spirit move in such a way where there is conviction and there's brokenness and there's humility and there's forgiveness and mercy and love. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way where perhaps the commitment time for our church is not to stand up and sing, but instead is to this week go to somebody. As Jesus said, if any of you has a division among you, go to your brother, make it right, and then worship. Father, I pray that that takes place in homes and I pray that that takes place in relationships and in our church. There's this incredible sense of receiving what the word says and changing us and then moving us forward together in authentic living. Lord, we 
We pray for the one who does not know Christ, who deep, deep down inside, their, their heart is perhaps has questions or concerns or doesn't understand. Lord, I pray for the one who does not know Jesus that as they're listening to this prayer that you will speak so directly and clearly into their lives that they come to faith in you, that they step out either at the end of this service or to someone and say, I need to know more about this relationship. The baptisms that I've seen, what does it mean? I don't know Christ. Father, please, by your spirit, pursue them and bring them to yourself. May they respond, may they repent, and may they know the joy of following you. So, Father, this is your church. Build it. Build your people. Use the word to transform us, and we pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen and amen.